In this market, it's harder to grow. And when you do, there are more operational distractions slowing your momentum. By building and maintaining a global payments and billing system, or reconciling revenue data. Paddle and Profitwell are coming together to take the load off your finance and engineering teams. We make subscription billing, payments, tax, and growth products that do it for you. In turn, you focus on what really matters, your team, customers, and products. Find out more at paddle.com. only recently really started to put you know a direct value to the growth of the business or the success of the business or the profitability of the business on making those right hires um, as opposed to I think what a lot of founders do which is like you know we could hire a great CFO for you know a few hundred thousand dollars or we could maybe get somebody for 180 and try to make it work it's never gonna work <laughs> so you're gonna do you know you're gonna go through that person then you're gonna have another person then you're gonna have another person and it just depends at what point you you realize, okay, I'm just going to go to the to the right level, and and you see this huge change in terms of the approach. And I've seen, you know, I, I've seen a lot of funded companies go through the exact same same process because it, it's just in general, it's very hard to uh, you know to hire for those roles and and bring in the right people for the long term. Hey everyone, welcome back to the SaaS Revolution Show brought to you by SaaStock, the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth, and scale. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today, and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show, uh, Ross Andrew Paquette, CEO and Chairman uh, of Maripost. Uh, welcome, Ross. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Alex. Yeah, great to have you uh, on, on the show. Uh, so first time on the SaaS Revolution Show. Uh, we only met, uh, I would say, just a couple of weeks ago uh, already in Sweden. So um, uh, usually I always ask the guests, the first question is like, who are you as a person? But actually, maybe we can share like, how did we meet? And then how did we end up on the podcast? And then we can share, like, who is, uh, uh, who is Ross? Yeah, um, absolutely. So, yeah. Why don't, why don't you tell us a little bit about how we met? Yeah, of course. So obviously, it was great for uh, Nathan Latka to, to bring us together. But uh, Alex and I were, were lucky enough to, to share a dinner without ever having met each other very quickly and uh, uh, realized there was a lot we had in common. So very excited to, to join for, for today's discussion and certainly uh, SaaS talk in the coming months. But we met down in uh, Malmo, Sweden. So I happen to be a Swedish resident and figured I'd pop down there for, what was it, about 12 hours or maybe not 12 hours, 24 hours very quickly on my way to London and uh, was lucky enough to again spend some time with you. Yeah, no, no, it was, it was cool. So like, I think the shows, uh, I think one of the, the the benefits, I don't know if it's a hidden benefit or a very uh, sort of open benefit of attending events is that, you, you know, uh, a lot of serendipitous things uh, you know, can happen, right? And yeah. uh, they're, they're great places for that. So, yeah, like I, I got the message from Nathan, like, hey, you know, my friend Ross is over. Yeah. Like, how about you guys, you know, connect and have dinner? I did what I usually do, right? And I, I looked to it for <laughs> for the, uh, the 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 number one rated steakhouse yeah. uh, you know, in in the area. Uh, as I'm a, a little bit too much of a fan of uh, of steak, and we found this place, and it was okay. We're not going to name names, but. Um, yeah. 
they did certainly butchered one of the steaks. Uh, we asked for a rare, <laughs> it came well done. Yeah. But uh, no, good, good evening, good conversation, and it you, you know nice to kind of uh, have that connection. And then obviously from that, you know, invitation to uh, come on the podcast after learning the story, and and, and then to obviously speak at Sastock uh, uh, yeah. later in the year, uh, uh, which is great. So we have got to thank Nathan for that. And uh, uh, speaking of which, I'm going to see him this weekend in. Uh, uh, in Italy, as we've got the, oh, wow. the Sastel founder member uh, retreat, so yeah. uh, certainly life is seem- seemingly almost like back to normal. A lot of the, uh, the, the I say yeah, the jet travel, yeah. getting around and the travel, and uh, you know it's fun. I, I definitely thought during COVID I wouldn't travel as much uh, as I as I did pre-COVID. Mm. I kind of hope that will be the case, but I'm certainly seeing at the moment there's a bit of that rebound, the excitement of like yeah. travel. We can do it. <laughs> Where are we going next? Yeah. Sort of thing. But, uh, but yeah, looking forward to that. But uh, so, Ross, we'll get to that, the, the typical first question about who, who you are. So yeah. who, who, is, who is Ross Andrew Paquette? Uh, you know, who I thought about that question a lot, actually. And I feel like, um, you know, people immediately go into their, their, their time, you know, their, their life cycle, their, their effectively their background, I suppose you could say. I, I worked here and I grew up there and all that kind of stuff. You know, and I was thinking about this just before I jumped on. I'm like, does... You know, hard charging bootstrap founders sound right as to who I am. I'm not sure. Um, Ibiza aficionado maybe would be another one. Lover of sea turtles. I don't know. Maybe those are all good good examples of uh, of who I am. But um, yeah, I mean, in terms of the the background, certainly, um, you know, both business. I'm from a very small small town um, in northern Ontario, Canada. So zero technology coming out of there. Mining and forestry were were and still are in some cases, the main industries and uh, family still based out of there, even though I'm now um, in Sweden. So as, as we, uh, you know, discussed previously, my, my partner is Swedish and um, I've spent the last uh, probably four years in, in, in Europe, even though Maripost headquarters is still out of, out of Toronto, Canada. Um, and so, yeah, really just been, I mean, I wouldn't say enjoying COVID per se, but enjoying the, the time that I've been able to spend over in Europe and uh, really kind of, you know, engage and enjoy the the different cultures that are really coming together here. I think in, you know, in, in, in Canada and, and certainly the, the U.S. in particular, you know, it, it's the diversity is there, but it's really not there in terms of a two hour flight to to Paris. And as you were just mentioning, a flight this week to to Italy, which is, you know, what, three or four hours away. So it's been, um, you know, a really exciting journey over the past few years. And we'll certainly jump into, you know, the Maripost journey as well, I'm sure. Yeah, no, de- uh, definitely. But I'm going to pick up on a couple of things there. So mm-hmm. uh, four years in Sweden, you said, yeah? Um, yeah, a mix of uh, my partner and I met in Spain, coincidentally. So it was kind of Spain, and then I ended up in the Canada of Europe, which is Sweden, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, uh, I've not heard it described that, but I'm, I'm sure yeah. I'm sure it is. But um, yeah, uh, how's your Swedish? Four years? Uh, zero. Zero? <laughs> zero. 95% of people in Sweden speak English, and, and so I run into the rare occasion um, my my partner's uh, uh, grandparents, as example, they don't speak any English, but uh, it's a difficult language to learn. That's for sure. I mean, it, it's not Latin based. I do speak French as an example, and certainly English. Uh, you know, so Italian, uh, uh, Spanish, and so on are quite a bit easier than than Swedish. And uh, Ibiza aficionados. So I, I remember <laughs> from the conversation. Yeah. Uh, you, you recently, or uh, I think very recently, I don't know why I yeah. said that in a kind of surprised tone, but uh, but recently you spent about six months uh, in Ibiza. Yeah. Uh, and was that as uh, a, a sabbatical? Were you working? I don't know. Could anyone work if you're yeah. in Ibiza? Um, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, tell, tell us more about that. 
Yeah, that was actually in 2018. So, I mean, uh, every year we definitely spend a, a good amount of time there. You know, even going through COVID, you were able to move back and forth in those those summer months, at least within the EU. And um, yeah, I mean, some of the greatest memories of my life certainly happened in that first stint. Um, I obviously met my my partner there as well. So a lot of very exciting elements. But uh, yeah, I, was, I, I would say I took a little bit of time off during the 2018 and, and now you know, I keep my schedule throughout uh, throughout our time there, whether it's in you know May or August or whenever we happen to uh, to actually be there. But it's where, an uh, phenomenal place. Where Where do you stay when you go to Ibiza? Uh, we We have a home there. Okay, whereabouts? So I mean, like not the exact address, but what? Yeah, what, yeah. What, what region? Uh, it's uh, so we're we're right near Ibiza town. So the okay. you know near where the airport is. The island's very very small, but we're we're in in that area. I guess you could say we're not on the the uh, west coast where San Antonio is, or the north where Santo Aurelia is, as an example. Very cool. I've, I've very done, small. Yeah, yeah. I, I think as we, we probably spoke. I've, I've done a lot of time in Ibiza, but always with friends. Um, yeah. This this summer, I'm holidaying in Mallorca for the first time, uh, mm. and I'm bringing my mum and the mother-in-law uh, as mm. well, uh, uh, which which will be fun. And um, then, uh, yeah, so we're going to be there for about seven eight days. And then I'm taking the mother-in-law um, and the family, of course, to Ibiza for three days. But uh, it's going to be more family-oriented yeah, than yeah. The, 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 the typical previous uh, uh, sort of holiday. <laughs> yeah. uh, at, uh, it it, it really is that, though. I, I've been telling people this for, for a few years. I mean, my first time ever going there was in 2017. Um, you know, and I think the expectation is what it was 20 years ago, 30 years ago, with this major party environment. And um a couple times I'd have friends, you know, uh, flying over for, to visit from from Canada or elsewhere, and they're on the flight and they're like, are, "Are you sure?" I think they had the idea that it was more of like the Vegas flight, you know, where people are pretty much out of control from from you know lift off to landing, uh, yeah, to landing. And you know, my friends are on the on this one flight and they're like, "Are you sure we're going to the right place?" There's a baby sitting next to me and family <laughs> of seven on the other side yeah. and so on and. It really is that it's more of, you know, probably 80, 20, 80 percent families and people who, you know, are just visiting for holiday, um, you know, and 20 percent in in kind of still that that party or, or nightclub area. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think I've been in that 20 percent mode for a, uh, <laughs> yeah. for a while, but yeah. uh, I go back and forth. I, I mix yeah. yeah back and forth on demand. It's good, good, good stuff. And so talk. um they're talking about the business, so uh, Maripost, right? Yeah. So you're the founder of Maripost. Like, what is, why did you found it? You know, what does it do? What, yeah. What's the story? What's the uh, around that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, Maripost operates in, in effectively three or arguably four distinct areas as a single product. So we have uh, the commerce cloud section, which is uh, online, so e-commerce and, uh, and retail, so point of sale as well. Marketing automation, which is how Maripost started, you know, uh, back 10 years ago. And then uh, help desk or service cloud, as it's called, which is effectively live chat, ticketing, and so on. So it's all in one solution, effectively a CDP or B2C CRM. There's a ton of different terminology that can be used these days. But um, we are aggregating the core business needs of a mid-market e-commerce uh, and or retailer uh, into the solution. And so uh, 10 years ago or, or so, or maybe even a little bit longer, Founded the business. I'd, I'd come out of uh, a sales uh, role at another company and figured, you know what, I can build something out like this myself, have 10 customers, do a half a million in revenue and, and really just, you know, have this great lifestyle like business. Um, and then about, I guess you'd say two years, you know, after founding, 
we went from 300,000 to 26 million in about 28 months um, with literally 12 or 15 people within the business at the 26 million. So naturally, a lot of work had to be done to uh, backdate that scale. But now we're we're 330 people on our way to uh, just under 100 million in revenue uh, this year. And um, yeah, with our, our sites set on a public listing in the years to come. Very cool. I mean, like literally that that, that is very cool. Great, uh, great numbers there. And um, I will come back uh, in a bit um, around how you got from 300,000 to mm-hmm. 26 million in, uh, in 28 months. Cause uh, mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure there's a lot of good stuff there. And so, but you're, you're bootstrapped or venture back. Yes. Yep. Fully bootstrapped. So we're hundred percent founder and employee uh, owned. Yeah. Very, very cool. How yeah. much of the, the company do you own versus uh, employees and uh, shareholders? Uh, between me and my partner, we're about 97% give or take. Yeah. Oh. Very good. Uh, uh, very good. Uh, so then let, let's talk about the, these kind of the, the early days. So like, I, I guess, kind of zero to 300,000 took three yeah. years. Was that? Uh, was that right? I don't know. It was sort of the first two years of kind of that time we, we built out the platform and I had built some great relationships with, with various customers. So they were coming on board. And actually, funny enough, I almost shut down the business. I had originally um, hired on a, a, an individual I worked with in North America uh, prior and it just wasn't working out. He would disappear for days at, uh, at on end and it just wasn't working. Um, so effectively, I, and I was still working, sorry, I had, I had another job and he, uh, or sorry, realized, okay, this isn't going to work in this, in this capacity. I'll just shut down the business. And funny, it was my, my parents, the least, you know, tech savvy individuals I know and our, our product at the time or still today is built uh, mainly in Ruby on rails or Ruby which is, you know, was a bit more obscure definitely 10 years ago and especially in, say, uh, the Toronto market or North American market. And they said, you know, why don't you look online? There's got to be somewhere. And so I met my my now co-founder on Odesk. Uh, I can't remember which, sorry, Odesk, which is now Upwork. Um, yep. And he was the first person I talked to and just an exceptional engineer and individual. And yeah, and we've built the business uh, in that direction ever since. Very cool. Uh, and you, you said earlier about like, initially you thought about, okay, I want to get, you know, the first 10 customers and have a bit of a lifestyle sort of business there. How did you get those first 10 customers? Um, you know, yeah. once you had the, uh, uh, the, the technology kind of available, yeah. like, well, what, what did you do? The ones that were not friends and family, I guess. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, there were people that, when I say people I knew, I don't mean uh, friends and family. Certainly. I mean, just, I, I was working in marketing automation before then. Yeah. As soon as I sort of left the company, you know, they were like, well, what are you, you know, what are you doing now? You know, are you going to work for another similar? And, you know, and I shared that. And, and in fact, we still have our very first customer on, on, on Maripost and um, uh, which is great. I got to call them actually. Um, but yeah, just kind of built from, from that small pool. We, we had maybe, you know, we we're 300,000. We had maybe seven or eight clients uh, that I had just, I had done business with and, and, you know, went to a couple of trade shows. We made a couple of really smart uh, bets. Like we we showed up at the, uh, I don't think they operate anymore, but Marketing Sherpa's email summit. Uh, and we were like the platinum or diamond or whatever sponsor. And it was just little me sitting at, uh, at in our booth. And, but Maripost was everywhere. So it really, really worked out well. Like, and I don't think I, I've seen or heard of many companies with one employee or effectively two employees you know, take an $80,000 sponsorship, you know, this is back 10 years ago and when that was quite a bit um, uh, of spend. 
and it really just worked out well. Like we, we brought on a lot of enterprise customers. The platform was always very strong. We kept innovating and developing and it really became a, a, a word of mouth uh, growth strategy. Like even now, a good 40 or 50% of our, our revenue comes still from word of mouth. And, and obviously that's, you know, not so systematic uh, in terms of its approach, but it's definitely, um, you know, the, the uh, responsible for the, the growth of the business in the early stages. Yeah, no, I mean, definitely uh, uh, a bold move. I've never seen it in six and a half years mm-hmm. of, uh, of SaaS stock um, with, mm-hmm. uh, you, you know, any company, probably not many companies under 100 employees yeah. uh, would uh, spend that much money. So yeah. uh, uh, bold move, uh, glad it paid <laughs> off. <Yeah. laughs> um, but you wouldn't be here now if it, it hadn't paid off, uh, I, yeah. I, I imagine, potentially. potentially. Yeah. Um, and, and so you're getting to 300,000 so that kind of that, that that makes sense. You got to the seven or eight sort of like clients that got there. You knew them previously. Yeah. You, you know, did a few other things, but then you got to twenty six million in twenty eight months. Yeah. What would you say? You, you come a couple of the kind of like the big things that you did to really kind of transition because that's that's huge growth, right? Yeah. Especially for a bootstrap company. Um. So really great yeah. velocity. Yeah. So what, what did you do? Yeah. We, we yeah. well in ter- when you say what did we do? Do you mean in terms of like how did we acquire the customers or how did we? Yeah. Well. Yeah. Like what what were oh. the, some of the strategic things and whether it was customer yeah. acquisition or like some, I don't know some hires or moving. It was into really a lot of hard work. Yeah. Um, yeah. so we at, at the time I had this clearly unproven or, or unrealistic uh, strategy in mind that Ross would continue to sell the the product and be that that piece and the business would sort of support all of the layers around him. So we had a support team and, and some client success individuals come in and we had a couple marketing people, but I was still doing every deal from, you know, relative start to, to finish. So we didn't follow any of the, you know, typical playbooks of, okay, at 5 million, you know, have these people, VP sales, VPC, you know, then at 10 million do this. We, we really grew dramatically uh, and very quickly in that regard. And we had about, it would have been about 200 or, or over 200 customers from literally, you know, single digit um, in that time frame. So it was a lot of just just hard work and um, yeah, and and just a close proximity. Granted, and I'll still say this today, even with the, you know, kind of 15, 18 hour days that, that were occurring back then, that was the, the most exciting time in the business because we were closing new customers every day. We were servicing them. Everything was, you know, was exciting from a product and growth perspective. And granted, we still have that today. I'm just further removed from from those layers. But um, we didn't do anything that that we should we should have done. Um, and it's funny, you know, you and I, of course, both know Michael Lid, who's on our, our advisory board from Vidyard, and him. He's always baffled, firstly, that we've gotten to where we are, you know, with, with some of this background, but. Too, when when him and I spent a lot of time looking at the question you had, which was, you know, what infrastructure did you put in? What systems did you put in? You know, how are you handling ticket routing and, and subject matter experts? And, and how are you driving sales pipeline? We didn't have any of that. It was embarrassing, <laughs> almost in a way to to say it out loud, but but still we're able to get there. Very cool. Uh, very cool. Obviously, going going against the grain there. I mean, actually, yesterday yeah. I just shared with the uh, with with the Sastop founder members, um, you know, presentation around company company operating systems, mm. um, and uh, you, you know, for for us, I think for many companies, certainly in the, in, in the early years, they don't have mm. those operating systems. Things like oh. you, you know EOS or uh, you know the business processes and, and things like to help mm. you kind of scale uh, in place. And I, I think for us. It was about four years until I kind of really started yeah. to look at, you know, implementing uh, all, all of that. We're sort of just stuff. doing some of that stuff now. Like yeah. it's, um, 
it, it's and it's tough. It's a lot harder to do it now. So when I'm whatever I'm giving advice that I myself didn't follow, I'm certainly referencing, you know, how much harder it is to do later than than in the early stage. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've seen some companies literally do it in in the first year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think like Hotjar is a good example. I'm pretty sure uh, mm-hmm. they you, you know implemented these sort of things you know yeah. the first year. And within within two years, got ten million in revenue, kind of like bootstrapped. Yeah. And I think, you, you know, wow. uh, that that's a lot to uh, to sh- to say for you know doing something mm-hmm. like that and, and and doing it early mm-hmm. and having the foresight to to do it, which we yeah. I didn't have and uh, uh, many people don't. Um, so you you mentioned that um, so you got ninety seven percent of the business, you're, you're bootstrapped, but you did have investors at some point. So tell us uh, about uh, the investors, why you took money. And what's happened to yeah. them? Where are they now? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was. I mean, at the time it was pretty logical, right? So this was 2016, so six years ago or, or closer to seven now. It feels like an eternity. And uh, Maripost, obviously, as we shared, had sort of skipped a couple steps in terms of the, the growth. As in, by the time the, the VCP uh, world had actually heard about us, we weren't, you know, five, six million in revenue. We were, this, you know, 26 million in revenue kind of thing. And... So, you know, there was probably about 120, 130, you know, parties who we met with, you know, all the way from the, the large insights TAs of the world down to, you know, the, the more, uh, you know, 100 million, 200 million sized, sized funds. And um, they were a really great group and, and very nice, but philosophically very different, right? For the same reasons that Maripost is very different. You know, we just aren't following the model of, you know, kind of grow at all costs and, um you know, it really just, it, it didn't go into the direction I think anybody had planned. And thankfully, uh, the investment was an all secondary round. So we basically just took all the money, put it into an investment account. Obviously, we had to pay tax, which was un- unfortunate. Um, but, you know, over the, the next couple of years, you know, gro- growth had unfortunately slowed at, uh, during those years. And then we realized this wasn't, go- you know, really going to work and it was going to get, you know, pretty uh, uh, uncomfortable for everybody pretty quickly. And so, you know, as it came down to it, I just said, you know what, I'll, I'll buy the shares back and we go on our, our separate paths and, you know, and we're all the better for it. And so, um, you know, their, their, their firms and, and, and funds, sorry, are still still well on their way and uh, they've made great investments, I, I, you know, as I've seen and, and I, you know, I wish them the best, that's for sure. But uh, at the time, it definitely wasn't for us. I mean, I think the the landscape between today, let's say, and, and back then has certainly changed dramatically. I mean, there's pros and cons when it comes to who's founder friendly, who is, and I'm not saying they were or weren't, um, you know, but it's just a different dynamic. And I think, it, you know, it was a great learning. It was a very expensive learning experience for myself, but it was still uh, a great learning experience to go through just the same. But yeah, but, but no more. And, and yeah. I, I imagine obviously given you, you the, the great numbers that you have, Mm-hmm. Are you are you still getting or do you get you know VCs on a regular basis kind of every day? Uh, yeah. And what do you do? Do you p- ignore? Do you respond politely? Uh, um, it depends on who they who they are. I mean, kind of to what what I've mentioned. So you know, there are a few firms that I have a lot of you know sort of uh, respect for in terms of what they have done with with founders, and they're re- really again like the philosophical approach. And, and without naming anybody, you know, there, there are a handful or probably quite a bit more where they're very focused on the product that you're building. They're not signing up for the financials, let's say. I mean, obviously that's very important, but they're signing up for the vision and the product is in, you know, a few of my friends have worked with or or counterparts have worked with these same firms. Like, 
every meeting we have, if we're having a you know bad month or bad quarter or whatever, and hope nobody ever wants that, is just keep focusing on the product, just keep focusing on the product. And I think that's, you know, that's a little bit more conducive to the success you're seeing, you know, maybe with some of these large firms, if I, if I mention their names, but I'm sure you can guess, um, as in they're, they're far more successful with that strategy than with the, okay, we had a bad year, we had a bad couple of years, let's find a way to kick so-and-so out of their company. And I don't think we hear enough of those stories. So I have a lot of, you know, bias in that regard, obviously. Makes sense. And so you, you mentioned that you're you're on your way uh, to 100 million uh, this year. Um, can you share, again, maybe like a couple of things or a high level plan or, or what you're doing, yeah. uh, you know, to get to 100 million? Yeah, I mean, for us, it's all about, I mean, for a lot of companies, it's all about execution, but we, we don't have any confusion about our strategy, about who we want to be, about the product that we're building, about the, let's call it the guardrails or bookends that we're, we're building towards. Um, for us, it's a very clear path and it's really just about executing on each milestone that unlocks, you know, new, maybe not new revenue streams is not the right way to put it, but new revenue streams or additional value or the ability to cross sell different areas of, of the platform that, that we have that we aren't doing today. And that's really one of the interesting components is even with our current customer base, we have over 300, uh, around $350 million worth of subscription revenue available to us. We just have to go through the motions of, cross-selling and, and migrating and bringing customers into the overall uh, uh, or these new areas of the platform, sorry, is what I'm describing. And that's all in addition to our, our new, uh, you know, new customer growth. I remember you saying when we had dinner uh, and also I, I think I've seen it on, online in a, an article that uh, came out mm-hmm. sort of like recently that the company is valued at 1.7 billion at the moment. Is, is that right? Yeah. 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 How, how did you get to the, the 1.7 billion uh, valuation. What what was the the thing yeah. that kind of you, you know gave you the the valuation? Obviously, congrats on on that. That's yeah, uh, thank you. Yeah. Huge. But uh, but yeah, how how did you get there? Yeah, so we did a um a second. It's kind of a it's an it's an odd topic to discuss publicly, but we did sort of a actually I'll just tell what we're doing. So in in typical Maripost fashion, we're trying to do something that I personally haven't seen done elsewhere. Um, but I think it's an extremely valuable uh, uh, strategy, which is instead of, um, well, one, there was step one was I've always wanted to sort of share in the success of Maripost with our partners, our customers, you know, friends and family and so on and so forth. Um, and a lot of the network that the company has, you know, across the globe, many of the same people that you and I know mutually. And while Kicking off that process, given the valuation is, of course, getting you know very high in in, in many regards or high. And you know, when I started this off, I wanted to make five hundred thousand dollars. So you, you can imagine we're quite far away from that. And as that process really unfolded, we started to have individuals from Australia, from New Zealand, from Canada, U.S., from throughout Europe, from Asia, frankly, from every corner of the globe, who were very interested in this because they had heard about you know. Not, not, not about the, the process itself, but about it from somebody. And, um, and as we started bringing in these individuals into the fold, it really started to build out more of a community. And when I say community, I'm referring just to the fact that it's different if you were to have, you know, one you know, or, or five, six, seven, even VCs coming into one process or even one of them to having 250 or so individuals or individuals even from firms. There's a lot of people doing that in our process to, um, to come together and really have this overall vested interest in the success of Maripost. So right now we're about uh, uh, half the way through through that process, and 
Uh, there's no shortage. It's literally just processing paperwork. But effectively, or arguably, what it should be looked at is uh, as is a small secondary round. Sorry, small compared to the valuation. Very cool. Uh, yeah, be, um, as you say, not it's it's not that common. Um, but uh, interesting to see you know things like that uh, that being done. But yeah. As you said, you, ha- you haven't really kind of taken the common path uh in in many things um yeah but um but yeah i mean again congrats you know see a bootstrap company that's got 97 percent you, you know uh ownership from the founders that's got 1.7 billion you know valuation that's doing you know things like uh what you're doing in terms of uh you know getting the community involved in you know, getting ownership in the business so mm-hmm. um really great to see and you know to be able to kind of share those stories for bootstrap founders that are listening yeah. for those that are you know even venture back to or on the path and uh, as well, just to kind of hear, uh, you know, stories like this. And what about like maybe like some of the most challenging parts of mm-hmm. the job for you or like that yeah. either have been over time or, or maybe currently are like in your role? What, what, what are the challenges yeah. that, that you face or have faced? I mean, uh, uh, I'll start in the order of the amount of pain each one gives me. Uh, the first and foremost, I mean, it's definitely the and I think everybody's struggling with this, but just the people side of things right now, right in this sort of pre and post COVID world and, you know, expectations and markets, uh, you know, or uh, employment markets and hiring and, and expectation management and so on. I I think that's hands down the most difficult piece, especially given the amount of people we have, we'll be at about 350 by the end of the month. Um, you know, it was quite a bit different than when we were 50. And I spent actually a fair amount of time talking about that. We, we you know, as, as you know, we did two acquisitions over the over the past uh, two years through through COVID. We're doing actually a third small one literally today it closes. Um, so I'll share more about that as a follow up. But going through those motions of, you know, 50 people to 100 people to uh, 150 and so on and so forth, you know, that becomes really difficult at scale. And, and it relates to the second comment, which is what we were discussing before, just the system side of things, the infrastructure side of things that we, you know, didn't put in place years ago. And, you know, at some stages didn't have the right people to know to put those in place, right? So like, I, this is my only, uh, you know, startup, this is going to be my, my only one, I have no interest in doing anything else. And so I don't know what I don't know. And I've only recently really started to appreciate the you know, uh, I wouldn't say recently started to appreciate the value of experience, but really started to put, you know, a direct value to the growth of the business or the success of the business or the profitability of the business on making those right hires, um, as opposed to, I think, what a lot of founders do, which is like, I could hire somebody for, you know, I could hire, a, uh, uh, we just hired a new CFO, so I'll use her. You know, we could hire a great CFO for, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars, or we could maybe get somebody for 180 and try to make it work it's never going to work. <laughs> so you're going to do, you know, you're going to go through that person, then you're going to have another person, then you're going to have another person. And it just depends at, at what point you, you realize, okay, I'm just going to go to the, to the right level. And, and you see this huge change in terms of the approach. And I've seen, you know, I, I've seen a lot of funded companies go through the exact same, same process because it, it's just in general, it's very hard to, uh, you know, to hire for those roles and, and bring in the right people for the long term. Yeah, definitely. I mean, co- commonality. Whenever over the years, spoken to people on the podcast or founders that we meet up with, like people mm-hmm. always seems to be you know top of the pile. Um, and uh, you know, one of the first uh, topics of conversation when founders kind of you know get together uh, uh, for sure, definitely a challenge. And certainly when you're scaling the business mm-hmm. to the heights that uh, uh, that you have, and certainly another good lesson there in terms of not 
not skimping in terms of um, you, you, you know, as you say, if you've got somebody that a great CFO at 300k versus one at 180, uh, you, you know, the lessons always learned. There's something be, there's a cost there, that's for sure. I know yeah. it's a pretty obvious statement, but yeah. I really think founders struggle with that side of things. What about like best piece or just a final piece of advice that you could give to uh, any of the entrepreneurs uh, sort of listening? Yeah, be extremely cost conscious. I mean, I just had a call this morning at uh, at ten in the morning with with a founder um, out of Australia, and he was asking the same question. You know, kind of like what are the three? And of course, I knew I had some details about the business, but he, he said, "What what are the three you know things that you would suggest I look at as they're they're struggling?" And my the first uh, comment I, I I made was think about the small costs. It's not the ten thousand dollar a month AWS, but well, that can kill you too. But it's the it's the you know five hundred dollar cost for this and the two hundred dollar cost for that and and all of these add up to the point where you've got you know and this is the problem in the the tech space in general is we've gotten so obsessed with buying all these tools hence why the the martech space has like ten thousand companies and I don't even know what the B two B side of things is is probably more and so you know we've been able to build of course or as you know this very profitable business along with the fast growing along with the the you know global nature along with the wide product set. So if we can do it, you know, everybody else can, you can certainly do it when you're, you know, raising tens or hundreds of millions in terms of capital. So I think that's what gets lost for most people. And then when it becomes a problem, can't raise, you know, maybe they can't raise as much capital or, or, or as much as they would like to, there's, you know, they're, they're burning, you know, at 40, 50, 60 plus percent, you know, per, per year that, you know, you can't just turn the, the, the wheel back or turn the time back and, and make those changes later, you're now kind of stuck with them. And so I'm very conscious and cautious when it comes to anything that we sign up for that is in a recurring or fixed manner. So even though I don't approve these things per se, I still see the details of everybody being hired in the company. I still see the details or the requests for every, you know, platform that we sign up for and so on, because I want to make sure that, you know, Hey, not, not everybody's going to be here forever. Hopefully they are, but if you you know if Alex comes in and signs up for something and leaves two years later, we're we're still stuck with that. You know we're still stuck with you know a, a poorly implemented X Y Z platform or something that one person was using in the company costing fifty thousand a year kind of thing. And it happens more often than not. I just don't think people talk about it because they're raising so much capital all the time. Probably. Well, I don't know. You think it's fair to say bootstrapping founders are much more cost. I think you have to. Then, even then if you're not, a, yeah, I think I, I'm certain they are because they have to be number one. But two, uh, and more importantly, I think that it just it's it's totally lost when, or not totally, but it, it, there's extreme levels of it being lost on the other side. Like some of our competitors, you know, within specific verticals of the products so in e-commerce or in marketing automation, they're raising like literally upwards of a billion dollars. You know, in terms of their their, their lifetime. And some of these lifetimes are not very, very long. And I'm just sitting there thinking like, how, what would you be doing with that money? And I guarantee most of it is wasted because you're growing at the same pace that we are and we're in the same markets together. So, you know, yeah, you might've gotten to a hundred million quicker, but it took you a billion dollars to get there. That's not really a great strategy in my opinion. Um, yeah, no, agree. Agree. And also I was just thinking, but, um, with with the advice that you gave to that founder about these kind of the mm. small costs and how they all add up, it also applies uh, at home as well. So if you could, mm. if you can give advice to my other half, 
about yeah. how all these small purchases from uh, from Amazon uh, <laughs> and where else they're, they're all adding up. Yeah, uh, and, and they're they're all taking the monthly budget away, right? So it's not the big things; it's the small things. No, but it's the, and it's the recurring ones, right? Yeah. Because you can, you know, you can stop ordering on well certain things on Amazon anytime, but you can't, you know, stop when you've signed up for a solution or a tool or, or infrastructure is probably more important. Yeah, um, it's, all, it's all those payments on Klarna, and I'm like, okay, exactly. Just, yeah. so, so easy to buy; they make it so easy to buy, but all of a sudden yeah. you've got twenty of yeah. them, and they're just coming I out know, every month. What's going on? <laughs> um, but yeah. uh, so we mentioned, uh, obviously, I'm delighted that you, you're going to be coming to Dublin uh, this October yeah. to speak at NASA 2022, our return to in person, our biggest uh, yeah, conference to date. Um, looking forward to that. Uh, I know you don't have all the details about the, the, the event, but it, what, mm-hmm. what is it, if uh, anything, that you're specifically uh, looking forward to? Yeah, I'm actually really glad you asked that because I'm probably the least connected person in SaaS, or at least the least connected person that I know in, in SaaS, which is not very many people. And and so um, this will be one of the first times that I'm ever speaking at a, at a conference. And what, sorry, I guess that, that's not what I'm excited about. Uh, I am excited about that. But what I am excited about is just meeting, you know, more of the, the community that exists around me, learning, you know, what are other people doing? What have they done successfully? Obviously, being able to share just the same what we've done successfully and really figure out, you know, what this community that's that's, you know, that I'm part of is is really responsible for. So I'm very excited for, for that. And, um, you know, it'll actually be, I think, three or four times in the next five months, um, you know, up to and, and after SAS talk where I'm, you know, again, I'm just being far more engaging. So I'm just very excited for that. I don't know if Nathan mentioned, him and I had never met before. Like we don't, we did a, we did a podcast maybe five years ago or something like that. And then, you know, a couple of emails here and there trading and and finally, you know, he was coming over here, but uh, you know, I just said, okay, I gotta get, I gotta get out here. Even if I'm at sassiest for, for 20 minutes, it's better than zero. Yeah, no, no, it was good. Uh, I'm I'm glad you did get out there. And obviously you've got a great story that like, you you know, I I mean, there's, there's so many SaaS companies these days that, Mm -hmm. Uh, most of them that I don't know, I, I used to probably know most yeah. of them. But then when it's here, like, oh, Maripo's doing, you know, almost 100 million. So, you know, never heard of these guys. But, you know, we all kind of want to tell, uh, yeah. you, you know, the, the story because uh, obviously you're doing great things. So it will be great to kind of share that uh, and more of that, you know, at Sassock in Dublin and get you connected yeah. with all the great founders uh, uh, and attendees there uh, as well. I don't know if you heard what we're going to do, actually, and for, for your listeners or whoever's going to be visiting, we're, we're doing a me and Michael Lid from Vidyard are doing a segment around the differences between, you know, it's not going to be the differences, but the pros and cons of bootstrapping versus, versus, you know, VC led and, okay. you know, where, where, what we feel and what the differences are. So, you know, whether that's our, our respective equity holdings in the business, you know, whether it's relates to profitability, freedom, you know, and then, and then the pros on the, you know, the, the VC side, right. The, in some cases, and, and I think Michael's uh, uh, really appreciative of, of his um, um, partners, you know, the amount of, again, guidance and, and uh, education and knowledge that they've shared with him. And I don't think that always happens. And, you know, we'll probably talk about how to pick the best VC as well if you are doing that. Awesome. No, that, that, that sounds really uh, exciting and, and great to say to have uh, Michael coming back uh, as well, which I think it's going to be, be yeah. his third time. So that's yeah. going to be good. I'm going to try and get you guys to stay around for SaaS Society we'll work it out uh good stuff, ross we've come to the end of the show been right really interesting uh, uh speaking to you ha- having you share the uh the, the lessons with the sas uh, audience on the sas revolution show today where mm-hmm. can people find you online if they want to reach out ask any questions yeah. 
before obviously meeting you uh, in person in Dublin. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my Twitter is Ross Andrew. My Instagram is Ross Andrew. My email is Ross at Maripost.com. Um, and obviously Maripost.com if you want to find any, out anything about the company itself. Thanks so much for being a great guest today on the SaaS Revolution Show. Uh, love speaking to you and uh, look forward to, to seeing you this October in Dublin. Same to you. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SaaS conferences around the world. Want exclusive SaaS content and actionable insights to grow your SaaS? Join our community of over 36,000 SaaS founders at sasdoc.com.